Hello, I'm Nicola Merrifield, Premium Content Editor at Campaign, and welcome to the Campaign Podcast. The relationship between an agency and a brand sits at the heart of any client contract. It is one of the most important things to get right in order to create and deliver great work. But there are so many different components to it, especially when trying to build a long-term connection. The IPA has recognised this important issue and last week published a report it commissioned to explore the challenges further called Partnering for Growth by strategic consultant Neil Perkin. Today on the podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the findings from the report and more widely, how agencies and brands can create trusting and lasting relationships. For all that, I'm joined by VCCP London's Chief Executive Andrew Peake, Fold7's Managing Director James Joyce and Louise Hayward, Chief Executive of Now. Welcome, everyone. Thank you very much. Hello. Thank you very much. Great to see you. In the IPA report, it concludes that four key elements are required for sustainable client agency relationships. The first one is establishing a shared foundation so that goals and ambitions are aligned in an appropriate commercial model. So, Andrew, I wonder, Fessy, how crucial you found that to be when starting out working with a new client? Uh, I think it's fundamental, isn't it? It's like any relationship, I think. You have to... Uh, in fact, when you start a relationship with a client, quite often, obviously, there's the excitement of winning a pitch and you want to get going as quickly as possible. And obviously, we, we try to do that. But at the same time, I think you've got to establish some, some ground rules for the relationship on both sides of things. And I think, obviously, part of that is understanding um, what the client is trying to achieve and making sure that you're aligned as an agency to, to the objectives that the client's trying to achieve. Um, and I think that is obviously the foundation of a relationship going forward. So that means that all the work that you're creating... You know, if you're coming up with innovation, any proactive type of work, hopefully it all ties back to what the objectives uh, are uh, for the client's business and the marketing team in the client's business, but also more broadly the, um, the overall business uh, and what they're trying to achieve. Yeah. So one of the other things the report mentions is that sometimes agencies try to be all things to all people, um, but that, that actually it would be better for both sides and the relationship if they provided differentiated expertise, that's the, the agency, um, that's tailored to the client's specific needs. So Louise, I wondered um, how far you would agree with that. I personally don't see a lot of in, in the agencies I've been in of us trying to solve all clients' problems. So I, I don't necessarily think it's a significant issue, but I do agree with the principle about differentiating uh, the different roles. And I think um, we'll, we'll come on to talk more about briefing, but I think briefs is a really interesting example of that because I think if a client, uh, sorry, if an agency was to write a client's brief, I think you're really missing out on some value there. You might not be capturing exactly what's in the client's mind and you're not leaving space for the agency to move that on strategically before they then move on creatively and really push the, the brief to somewhere new and exciting that's going to be effective and, and stand out creatively. So whilst I don't see it as a general problem, I do think having clear definition, particularly around the crucial element of briefs is really important. So um, that's also something that came up at the IPA Business Growth Conference last week. There was a discussion about how the briefing process could be improved so that both sides uh, understand what, what the goals are. And so, uh, James, I wondered, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, I think the brief can always be improved, to be honest. I think it's, there's, there used to be greater reverence around the brief. And I think actually the pace of today's world means that people are often rushing that part of the process um, more than they should. And I think actually trying to restore some of the respect and reverence that should surround a brief. And that, that, that's partly the agency's responsibility to instill that outlook with the, with client teams as well. Um, so I think they're, yeah, I think it, I think anyone who says they've got the perfect 
perfect way of briefing. I would love to know because I think uh, as far as I'm concerned, it can always be improved. Why do you think it's being rushed nowadays? What, what might be behind that? I think that the pace at which many clients are expecting work to be delivered means that actually the, the, the expectation that agencies can get going with, uh, with less information um, is often how how things are approached and actually trying to trying to make sure that kind of you put your foot on the ball at that point and actually ensure you've got the all of the information you need you've got the clarity you need asking the right questions um challenging assumptions that might be made um is absolutely crucial and i wonder how difficult it can be when there are there are rebriefs occurring andrew i don't know whether you've ever um you know found that to be particularly problematic and how that can be tackled yeah i mean i think probably what we underestimate in agencies is how much work has to go into a brief. Often the brief is the culmination of, you know, an entire strategy that our marketeers, our clients have, have sold in at their end. And the brief then is just a dist- distillation of an awful lot of work into, into one document, um, which is why it's incredibly useful, obviously, to, to give to the agency. Um, I think when there's rebriefs, uh, obviously there's lots of different reasons why there may be a rebrief. Quite often it's because the work hasn't gone into getting agreement on the brief that's gone into it, into the agency in the first place. Um, and we'd quite often work with the client on, on helping them do that. Um, also in the way that we respond to a brief, you know, not, not leaping straight to creative work, but to, uh, we would always respond to a brief strategically to begin with to make sure that we've interpreted the brief correctly. And I think that's incumbent on the agency then to obviously make sure that they are uh, meeting the right people at the client's end to you know, first of all make sure that we have um, understood the brief properly and they're going to respond properly creatively when we obviously move into creative development um, but also I think it gives the opportunity for for the clients to probably take a bit of a step back from as I say what has been a lot of work at their end which is distilled into that brief and actually see whether uh, the agency's interpretation of it is, is how they'd originally intended and I think if you do that properly in the first place, hopefully you don't end up in the situations where you're rebriefing quite as often. I think the last couple of years, obviously, has been very different to normal times. And we've probably faced more rebriefs in the last couple of years than we've ever done in our industry. Uh, and I have a lot of sympathy for the clients that we work with on that front. You know, I work on EasyJet, and you can imagine how difficult it is uh, to run a business like EasyJet or any airline or any travel company heavily impacted by COVID. Things change from day to day, still are changing now, obviously, with everything that's going on. So I think you do have to be sympathetic and aware of what's going on in the world and, and you know, probably uh, understand why on in a lot of situations clients are, are rebriefing. I think it's less and less, actually, that clients are rebriefing just because they haven't, uh, you know, sold in the direction they want to take into their organisation. I think it is more about what's happening in the world and the requirement for their business to adapt what's happening in the world. Yeah, it's certainly been a difficult time for for everybody. Um, and one of the interesting things I found that you mentioned there was that um, that you would respond to a brief strategically uh, in the first instance, and that was one of the things that came up at the the conference that was discussing this report last week. It was about sometimes the the strategic input that an agency can um, provide can sometimes be undervalued. The report mentions that, and then uh, the way pricing works in general can also affect the relationship between client and agencies. For instance, agencies start out by by giving away their ideas for, for no money when they're pitching. 
So I wondered, I don't know, Louise, what, what's the, to what extent have you seen that these kind of issues around costing can then affect the relationship more long term? Yeah, I mean, those issues definitely resonate, particularly around the strategic value that we can offer. We were pricing something, something the other day for a, for a startup and to give them a proposition for their communications, the, the, the number that came out, if we looked at the hours it would take us, was so low for something that was of such big value. But I sort of feel like the industry is so entrenched in, in costing in that way. Clients expect you to give you their hours and, and, you know, and build the fee from that way rather than giving a value on the thinking that I think it's going to be very hard for us to move away from, from that model. I've tried it a few times, experimented with it, and it's always been quite challenging. I think the opportunity from a strategy perspective and, and revenue in that area is about goes back to relationships and becoming partners and consultative partners so that you can get access to lots of strategic opportunities and add value in lots of places, not just necessarily around a comms brief. It might be about a big challenge facing the board or uh, product innovation. So getting into lots of interesting strategic areas. Um, the pitch part of the question is very interesting. Can't tell you how many pitches I've worked on, but I think probably two of them in my career have ever given any small token of money to that pitch process. Um, and it's always been remarkable when they have. So I think that's a really interesting area. If a client awards uh, an agency a piece of business, should they not then pay that agency for the thinking they've done to date? I have heard of a few instances of that in other agencies, but but not much. And I think that could tie back to the positive pitch pledge well. Um, and it could stop clients from over expending agency resource if they feel a commitment to recompense the agency in some way when they're successful. Uh, James, have you got any thoughts about the, the pitching process and the costing around that at all? Yeah, I think, I think we've, as agencies, we've, we've given away um, really valuable thinking um, freely for far too long, to be mm -hmm. honest. And I, it, it, we, we, we need to address it ourselves. We need to have more confidence um, in the way that we charge for the value that we bring to clients. Um, and I think it's, I think, I sort of hope that the, we are, we are beginning to refine that confidence and actually recognize, um, the difference that we can make and how actually, um, we, we should be, we should be sort of reviewing where we, where we charge and recognizing that actually that, that value is, we, we deliver value to our clients in so many different areas. And this, the shift from it sort of just being about the implementation phase, which I think for years and years was just how agencies made money i think i think you know i think in the last five years or so agencies have really started to recognize actually the value is uh, needs to be recognized in, in in particularly in the strategic area but also almost at the consultative level that you know that, that louise was talking about there as well i think that, that we, we we need to refine our confidence so um the, one of the other uh, things the report talks about is so the second building block that it recommends for good relationships is having um suitable organizations so the team set up in a in a to work in a productive and, and long-term manner and um, the way that it explores that is, is uh, talking about how agencies can ensure they're able to bring fresh and new thinking, even if they've been working with a client for a while, to try and avoid the CMO potentially resorting to a pitch. So, Andrew, I wondered how easy or difficult is it to create within the team structure that headroom so that you can um, still carry out the day-to-day -day tasks, but think in more sort of fresh and new ways for the client? Yeah, I think it's a combination, isn't it? Because you, you, th there's a real benefit to the client of having a long-term relationship with an agency. You know, I think our average tenure is about six and a half years with our clients of ECP. And over the course of six and a half years on average, you know, O2 has been a client of ours for 20 years. Um, 
EasyJet for 12 years. So you learn a lot about their business, which hopefully means that you can make much more informed choices about what you should be doing. And, you know, when you're reviewing strategic work or when you're reviewing creative work. Um, but at the same time, you obviously need to come up with new ideas. My litmus test actually is um, if a new CMO was to join tomorrow, could you stand up proudly and say, here's our strategy, here's all our work, here's all the things we'd love to be able to do over the course of the next year, here's all the great innovative thinking that we've got and proactivity that we've, that we've got. Um, and I think you know, that keeps you on your toes because that could happen at any moment. And I think you need to make sure that you know, you've got the foundations in place to be able to do that for your clients. The way that we structure our teams is that so that we get that continuity but fresh thinking is we have something called a core four. So uh, we're a fully integrated agency. So we've got all the disciplines, communication disciplines in the agency. Um, but obviously, if you put all of those people onto a client's business, it would become incredibly expensive for the client and quite unwieldy internally for us to, to work in a kind of nimble way, nimble, lean way. So we have the core four, which is the leadership team on every single client that we work with. That's a creative director, planning director, lead suit, uh, and a lead project production person. And increasingly data as well. So we'd expand it out to five people. They're, they're the continuous team on a client's piece of business that oversee all of the work. So they, they retain the knowledge of the client about their business. And then what we do is put what we call tailored teams together. So we, depending on what the brief is, we'll pull um, specialists from different parts of our agency into a team for a short period of time to answer a specific brief. And the benefit of that is that you get, obviously, the combination of the experience that the core four or five have, along with the fresh thinking and actually the benefit of naivety, because you can sometimes become blinded by familiarity when you work on a client. But by having those people who come in onto the tailored team to answer specific briefs, you get the benefit of fresh thinking and a bit of naivety, which I think is a good thing. Um, so that hopefully keeps us on our toes, which means that we're always in that position of having good strategic platforms, good creative platforms, great creative work, and lots of innovation in the pipeline. Sounds like a, a, a great uh, setup you've got there. Um, one of the other teams there about uh, team structures is also, um, or the way that teams are working, as talked about in the report, is that the agency said that they were looking for clients that are demanding, um, but fair. So I'm wondering how... Because if you don't have you know that demanding but fair work, that could lead to burnout essentially. So I'm wondering how teams can be built and can work alongside uh, clients so that burnout amongst agency staff doesn't happen or can be prevented. James, I wondered if you had any thoughts on that. That's it's a big topic at the moment in the sector. Gosh, yeah, that's. I mean, that is a. It's a. It's definitely um, a, a very real challenge. I think you can see it. You can see it across every industry, actually, not just ours. You know, there. I think. Um, I think the effect of lockdown is, is, is sort of really bearing out on people. And I think ultimately it's about, um, it's about the culture, um, that you create in, 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 in the business. And, and that should, that's really around a culture of support and mutual respect and a culture of care and candor as well. I think being the, the, the creating a space in which people feel they can be completely honest about how they're feeling about things, um, that they can, they can acknowledge fallibility. They can recognize where, where they're finding, uh, things difficult and where they're struggling. And I think actually we've all, um, I think we're actually, um, coming out of, coming out of COVID. I think we're actually much more, all much more ready to acknowledge when we're, you know, we're finding things difficult. And I think that is really, really key because, Ultimately, if, if people are communicating freely and, and well, then I think anything can be solved. Um, 
And I think actually, if people are finding things difficult, then the importance of sharing it and then getting giving them giving them support is 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 the first key step. That actually moves the it links quite nicely to the the next part of the report, which talks about is a third pillar and that you need to have understanding between clients and um, agencies. So that means that conditions are in place that allow both sides to communicate with each other effectively. There was a section that, that refers to a study by Google on high performing teams, and it found factors such as skills in the team being co-located and kind of general intelligence levels within the group were not actually as important as other things. And it concluded that other elements such as psychological Psychological safety was one of the main ones. So um, with this concept of psychological safety, it's the idea that agency and client staff are able to say what they mean and be comfortable with vulnerability. So Louise, I wondered how far do you think that's possible, um, especially the early stages of a relationship and both sides are just sort of getting to know each other? Um, I mean, I think it is possible. And I think you've got a real opportunity in those early stages to be really clear about what you want in a relationship. Um, The pictures I've done recently, we've talked really clearly about ways of working. And I use that phrase psychological safety quite a lot. And I get a bit ribbed by my peers because it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a phrase and a big phrase to use. So I put it into more conversational ways when we talk about our ways of working, but to have, you know, real empathy for one another, to have real transparency, um, I think is really important. And I think establishing that from day one is really important. And I think some of the commentary around the Better Briefings Project has talk about, talked about psychological safety. Because if there's this issue that um, uh, the, the briefs being written, agencies don't think are good enough, is that because they don't actually you know, feel confident enough and safe enough to say, this isn't clear enough, this isn't good enough. So I actually think the concept of psychological safety is really key around the the, the brief side of things. But I think you've got to start it from day one and, you know, more and more ways of working conversations are happening at pitch stage. And that's the perfect example to be really honest about about it. And honesty is, you know, really the foundation of, of psychological safety. Mm. Um, so, um, Andrew, I wondered, but can it be more difficult being open with certain type of clients than others? I mean, are there particular qualities uh, yeah, that, that lend themselves to these more open conversations than others? I mean, I, I, I agree with everything that um, you guys have said, Nicola and James. It's, um, I think you need, you need to, it's a number of factors which are going to impact uh, the psychological safety of, of the people working in the agency and the clients as well. It's, it's definitely ways of working. It's definitely how you structure the relationship as well. I think um, if you're going to have an impact on the client's business, you have to have a relationship from the very top all the way through to the people that you work with in the marketing team. And I think that also helps um, if you feel that people in the agency team have been compromised in terms of their psychological safety because you can have those conversations at a more senior level um, to obviously raise any concerns that you've got. I think having formal check-ins as well. So, you know, going back to the point around ways of working and the way that you set up a a client relationship when you win a pitch, I think, you know, having a a honeymoon appraisal after three months, I think it gives you the opportunity to obviously formally review whether the ways that you set up the relationship are actually being followed on on both sides. Um, And I think the culture of the agency is really important. You know, we've got 10 founding principles internally, which are really, really important. At the heart of those is collaboration, but two of them are be kind and be approachable. And I think it's, it's what James said. If you have, if you don't create that environment internally, as well as all the support services around it that enable people to know where to turn to, but fundamentally the culture is of the agency is one that is kind and where people feel that they can speak out. Um, I think it's obviously going to be quite difficult to then 
for people to flag any concerns that they've got, which then obviously are not going to get passed on to the client if there, if there are challenges in the way that certain parts of the relationship are being managed. Okay, and that, that also then goes on to the next point, which is the final element in uh, long-term client agency relationships that's identified is um, around learning, you know, how you can be open and honest and talk about maybe things that aren't going so well, but also more importantly, how you can improve. The report mentions about agencies and clients that avoid failure and are afraid to take uh, risks and try new things are actually going to limit their learning. And also it could create a competitive culture in the relationship. So two not great things. I wondered, um, James, when things haven't gone to plan, how how do you feel agencies can ensure both they and clients are actually learning from it? Um, I, I think it it does all start with the with the um, culture uh, that that is at the heart of the relationship and the environment that is created because honesty is absolutely absolutely key. If people can't be honest about what went wrong, um, then it's you're never really going to to learn uh, and, and, and make improvements. So it starts with uh, an environment in which people feel that they can speak openly and honestly. You know that culture of candor, and that comes from actually people feeling like they're not there's not there's not a culture of blame. Um, you know nobody's going to be hauled over the coals for for making a mistake. Um, people having the confidence to actually share experiences and acknowledge and recognize that actually it's it's everyone's responsibility um, to, to make sure things go well. Obviously, the key thing is to learn from it. And the point at which issues have been surfaced, it's then about, um, I do think it's really important to have some precision and specificity about what's actually gone wrong. I think to, to ensure that, you know, specific changes are made around things um, that, that around the lessons that have been learned so that um, you can kind of, you can change them in the future, execute against them in the future. So I think the, the, the environment to, to, to speak openly, honestly, and honestly, because you, you don't, you, you don't feel like anyone is um, going to be blamed, but then actually taking quite specific action, I think is the key thing. Interesting. So there's a, there's another um, part to this around learning in the report, which is sort of presents a situation where learning can occur, where a CMO might uh, depart and a new one comes in. So they've, they've included a stat in the report stating the average tenure of CMOs fell to just three years and four months in 2020. And that's the shortest it's been since 2009. So Louise, as the report suggests, I wondered if, if you do think that a new chief marketing officer kind of arriving on the scene can give an agency a chance to provide an opinion on what has and hasn't uh, worked in the past and, and use that kind of moment to build trust in the relationship? I think so. I mean, we've used the word honesty quite a lot. So I think it's a real moment for for honesty. Uh, it's a balance of showing all the expertise you have and proving your business. And, um, you know, as Andrew said, showing that you are nowhere near uh, an agency that needs to be pitching because you're in a brilliant position with your with your strategy and your thinking, but also about being open and listening to them. That person's been given that job because, you know, they deserve it and they're going to be brilliant at it if we, if, if we assume that. So we need to make sure we also um, we also really, really listen. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I think it's just one of those, it's, it's a natural cycle, isn't it? But um, actually trying to use that in a productive way is something you've got to learn. So we've covered a wide range of ingredients that can ensure long-lasting commercial connections in Adland. Thank you so much, all of you, for your insights. Um, but before we go, I'd really love to know uh, what's the biggest lesson you've each learned about relationships between agencies and clients from a past experience. Andrew, would you like to share your pearls of wisdom first? I mean, when I think back to the, the best relationships I've had with clients, uh, it is a bit of a cliche and it's 
what everyone has said, which is it's about open, being open and honest. And I think uh, it's also feeling like the client has real confidence in you uh, and that confidence can then extend to you challenging uh, in a positive way. And hopefully that you can challenge in a constructive, positive way because of your understanding of the business, which, as I say, if you've had a longer term relationship and you've got a core group of people who've worked in that business for quite a long time, it gives them the ability to hopefully constructively challenge rather than just do it in a flippant, uh, unconstructive way. So I think the best relationships I've had and I've enjoyed are the ones where you have really healthy debates amongst you. And it, and it, the, the environment that's been created on both sides is, is one where you've got the confidence to have those debates and those sometimes, you know, quite vibrant, energetic debates around the topic. But you know that the long, that, you know, underneath that, there's a much more sort of longer term relationship uh, that is going to endure. And there may be a temporary blip when you have those, you know, more challenging conversations. And yeah, you perhaps are challenging something about a client's request to you or a strategy that they're suggesting or whatever, or their opinion on the creative work versus your opinion. But you've got to, you've got to create an environment if you want to get to the best solution um, that enables you to do that. And at the end of the day, we as agencies carry on our relationships with our clients if we are contributing to the success of their business. So the client needs to know that, and obviously that really the only way they're going to, you're going to build that trust and, and them having confidence in, in that being your objective as well as theirs is, is through a longer term relationship and then seeing the evidence of that as the relationship progresses. So that when you do have those occasions where you're perhaps challenging something in a fairly vibrant way, um, they can, they know that at the heart of your challenge is, is because you are just trying to do the best by them in the creative work that you're delivering because you, you know, you have a view that that creative work or that strategic recommendation is, is going to contribute to their overall success as a marketing team and as a, a business more broadly. Um, and I think the relationships that are based on that sort of mutual trust and, where the agency is given confidence by the clients that they can have those sorts of debates lead, lead to long-term success. And the, the clients that I've worked with, you know, those relationships have, have lasted a long time. They've resulted in, you know, business transformation and they've resulted in, in marketing effectiveness awards, creative awards, all the things that are kind of symbols of a successful relationship, which obviously gives you even more confidence. So, yeah, I think creating that environment where you can have really healthy debate and where there's confidence on both sides that, you know, you're, you're coming at that debate uh, with the best of intentions. Yeah, having honest conversations definitely has been a fed throughout this uh, podcast episode, hasn't it? So, but James, I wonder what, what's your biggest learning curve been around this? Um, I don't know whether it's alarming or reassuring, but when you talk about important relationships, it made me think of my wife <laughs> and uh, <laughs> uh, something that my father-in-law said uh, at our wedding, which was... Um, he said, I, I, I know Rachel and James will be okay because they communicate very well. Uh, they're both really good communicators. Um, and I do think as long as the communication flows freely and honestly, um, I think you have every chance of building and maintaining a, a, a healthy relationship. I think um, it, with good communication, you can overcome problems. Uh, you can make things better. You can make the work stronger and even more effective. Um, I think it's when the communication starts to break down. That's when I think you need to worry. Yeah, I think, yeah, we could definitely apply that advice. Yeah, into lots of different scenarios. <laughs> um, um, Louise, what, what, what are your thoughts? 
I mean, two brilliant answers and it's hard to, to sort of build upon that, but I completely agree about the continued communication. If I think of my best relationship, I think I spoke to this client pretty much every single day for a number of years. Sometimes it'd be two minutes, sometimes it'd be two hours. And so that, yeah, that continued communication. And one of the things about that relationships was the equality. So, you know, we are a service provider, we are paid to do a job. But if it feels like that, it's not quite right. So I've loved the relationships where you just feel like you're equal. And I think that means you can do all the things we talked about in terms of the communication, the trust, the honesty, and it feels safe. And it means it's robust to everything Andrew said. This person I'm thinking about, I've had some really difficult conversations with them and the relationship could stand up to that in a way that other relationships that weren't as strong wouldn't have been able to. So it's very hard to avoid cliches when answering that question because, you know, it's absolutely true. And yeah, equality and communication, I think, will be two of the sort of bedrocks of the, the best relationships I've ever had. Great. Yeah. So some great points from all of you. Thank you so much. And I think that's actually all, all we've got time for today. But um, yeah, I wanted to say a massive thanks so much to Andrew, James and Louise, all of you for joining the podcast today. Um, and yeah, that's it. So for, for more industry news and insights on agency and client relationships and more, please visit our website, campaignlive.co.uk. Um, if you don't yet subscribe, please do so at campaignlive.co.uk forward slash membership. There will be a link in the podcast description. If you enjoyed this episode of the Campaign Podcast, please follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. A big thank you to our producer, Aidan Lyons from Rethink Audio, and also to you for listening. I hope you will join us next time. On behalf of the campaign team, goodbye. <laughs>